Is it just me, or does it seem like things across our globe and in our own country are just getting worse? I admit that I am reeling from a trip I took this summer, a clergy study trip to Israel, hosted by the Jewish Community Relations Council of Boston. While there, several of us were within feet of the stabbing at the Gay Pride Parade in Jerusalem that claimed the life of a 16-year-old. Perhaps the brush with violence there puts someone like me on high alert when tragedies strike. This week was another week where difficulties abounded. Our hearts had been wrenched by the faces of children, refugee children in Hungary, draped over weary shoulders of parents waiting for safe passage. And then the gripping tragedy when the body of a Syrian child in sneakers and blue shorts and a red shirt washed up on a beach. Mother and the two boys were trying to escape political uncertainty in a Syrian Kurdish region and drowning on the way to the promise of a shred of hope in Greece. The child's mother and brother also lost their lives. And the mothers and fathers of children in the squalid encampment in a below-ground plaza in Hungary's main train station seeking freedom and safety for their little ones, not knowing for much of this week what their future held. They, along with so many refugees from war-torn regions of our planet, are taking their life in their hands with the possibility of safe passage to places of refuge such as Greece, Western Europe, Canada, and the United States. Another mother, a Syrian mother living more than 2,000 years ago, also sought safe passage for her daughter. In this biblical scene, the child had an unclean spirit possessed by a demon. And we can imagine the desperate mother is at her wit's end, reaching for any small shred of hope to escape the hell that she has been living in. Though in this 21st century world, we may dismiss the idea of demon possession, unclean spirits inhabiting the vulnerable, from where I sit, demon possession is still around, the vicious, angry, thrusting, throbbing way we treat those at risk in our midst feels close to demonic. It is certainly uncanny that this non-Jewish mother in a region outside of the Jewish inhabited world would find an itinerant Jewish rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth. But the word was out about him. He had been stirring up quite a reputation in his home region, raising a child of a synagogue leader, Jairus, from death healing a woman with a flow of blood, casting out demons from a man who was possessed not by one demon but by legion, healing exorcisms, and even walking on water. This man, Jesus, was quite a phenomenon. And after all of this, he immediately, as the Gospel of Mark is wont to prescribe, goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the religious leaders on dietary laws, on what kind of food is clean and unclean, 
and contrary to strict dietary protocol, he declares all food clean, stating that the evil in the human heart is what defiles a person. So with his ministry in Harvard lockstep time, packing in as much as he possibly can, this man, Jesus, needed a break. And the Gospel writer tells us that he left his home region of the Galilee and went to Tyre, out of the bounds of the Jewish area and into Gentile Syria. Did Jesus go to this region to escape the crowds? Mark's Gospel says he entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Okay, he tried, but the Gospel writer almost winks and nods to us. He couldn't escape notice. And we don't know how long it takes, but quite quickly, a Syrophoenician Gentile woman comes into the house, bows at his feet in deference, and begs him, this Jewish man, to cast out the demon from her daughter. We pause. Any of those who knew Jesus up to this moment would assume his response would be to step forward and heal the child. We assume that Jesus will heal the child because, like he did in another healing record earlier in Mark, where again this temple leader, Jairus' daughter, was ill, he stepped away from another healing situation and goes to the child, who is brave. Jesus restores her to life. And so if this woman's outsider status is any factor, he has gone outside of the bounds of Jewish law and declared a clean palate by redefining those dietary laws. And he also healed the Gerasene demoniac, the one with the legion demons. That man was not a Jew. So wouldn't this woman from a people who were considered by Jews to be unclean be in line for the mercy of God that this rabbi declared? Though the Syrophoenician woman has played by every rule in the book, we have to assume it's because she was a woman approaching a strange man on behalf of her family that Jesus sees this as an unacceptable request. He not only refuses the request, but levels an insult in a disdainful metaphor which compares her and her daughter to little dogs who are not to be fed with the children's bread. Back to Hungary this past week, the evening news shows the refugees confronting the police. A man steps out of the crowd there in that foreign land and looking squarely in the eye of those who were corralling the people, speaks a word. We are human too. Yes, indeed. Into a freighted situation out of desperation, the depth of vulnerability comes the clarion call. We are human too. The mother of that possessed child all those years ago does not cave. She compounds what might have been seen as shameful, pushy behavior by boldly contesting Jesus' metaphor. Although she is a Gentile, she prefaces her response with a very pious, exalted title to Jesus. Yes, Lord, she says, but even the dogs under the table 
eat the children's crumbs. The woman's brilliant response subverts wrath into disagreement. It allows the priority of Jesus' mission to his Jewish kin to stand, but asks for inclusion for Gentiles in the scope of God's reach. In essence, the woman said to Jesus, we are human too. She is the only person in the entire Gospel of Mark to best Jesus in an argument. She is an outsider, a woman, and a non-Jew. And what is Jesus' response? He collects the crumbs and delivers the full loaf. For saying that, he says to her, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And the radical reach of God's liberation of those in bondage to the demons of exclusion, the exiles in the land, the orphan and the imprisoned, the broken ones and the broken system are countered by the messianic abundance of radical inclusion. As Harvard Divinity School professor Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza states, the gracious goodness of God's, of God's abundance is seen in Jesus, and it is abundance enough to satisfy not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. The power of the realm of God liberates not only the children of Israel, but also the woman child the one healed of the demon. The child's mother went home and found her lying in bed, the demon gone. The power of those vulnerable and often silenced does not stop with the biblical text or with those speaking out at a train station in Hungary. This year, the entire freshman class here at Harvard read Sonia Sotomayor's autobiography, My Beloved World. Chief Justice Sotomayor is the first Hispanic and third woman to be appointed to the United States Supreme Court. Her very moving life narrative takes the reader from her life growing up in a Bronx housing project through her undergraduate student days at Princeton and her years as a law student at Yale. Justice Sotomayor recounts many moments when she, like that Syrophoenician woman, faced seemingly insurmountable odds of confronting a world of prejudice, self-doubt, sexism, racism, all that often result in crippling those on the margins. In her book, she speaks of many moments when she confronted oppression, broke the silence about her upbringing, her family, her aspirations for a just society. One story that is especially poignant takes us to an evening when she was beginning her search to find a job her senior year while in law school. She went with a friend to a recruiting dinner hosted by a well-respected law firm that did corporate and international law practice. She describes the scene. Eight or 10 Yale law students at the table. She's introduced to the partner conducting the interview. Sonia's law school friend introduced her as Sonia, Puerto Rican, from the South Bronx, a Princeton grad before Yale. Almost without pause, the partner 
person who was doing the interviewing at, asked her whether she believed in affirmative action. She replied guardedly, yes. And from there, a barrage of questions from the partner lawyer were unleashed. Do Princeton and Yale have affirmative action programs? Yes, of course they do, she replied. Do you believe law firms should practice affirmative action? I mean, don't you think that it's a disservice to minorities hiring them without the necessary credentials, knowing you'll have to fire them in a few years? Sotomayor was stunned by his comment and retorted, I think that even someone who got into an institution through affirmative action could prove they were qualified by what they accomplished there. The partner looked at her skeptically and leveled the last blow. Do you think you would have been admitted to Yale Law School if you were not Puerto Rican? Adrenaline flowing, it probably didn't hurt, she said, but I imagine that graduating summa cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa from Princeton had something to do with it. She noted that an awkward silence descended upon all, spreading like a stain to the other end of the table. Sonia Sotomayor stood her ground, and like that woman 2,000 years ago, her passion for justice thundered across that table. Whether issues of affirmative action, the human face of children and parents fleeing war-torn, politically rife regions of the world, whether someone whose religious or political views deeply conflict with ours, the call of Christ is to radical inclusion. And even the very Son of God, the one whose own assumptions about his ministry and mission were expanded, Jesus relishes expanding the welcome table for you to have a place at it. For those who wonder if they have a future or if their children have a future, for all of us to have our rightful place. The call of Christ for us in this time in history is to ensure that there will be no more children washed up on the beaches of inhumanity. That the human community will be awash with the peace that passes all understanding. The radical activity of Christ for this time is that we look out from positions of privilege. And when met with moments where we feel very uncomfortable, we, like Jesus, would undo our chauvinism by God's grace. As we begin this fall term here at Memorial Church, I want to put before this community the challenge I hear at the heart of the gospel, that students, university faculty, and staff, you who find this place to be your church home, and all of us who work here will trust the transforming reality of God's glorious purpose for the world, that we will receive the Holy Spirit's power given to us at Pentecost, and that we will live into that power, confronting anything that dares to repress the reign and power of God. Our purpose as a Christian community at Harvard University is to claim the radical hope that is offered to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is to trust so deeply the power of God that we do what might seem crazy to others, being fools for Christ's sake in this God's world.
I am convinced beyond any doubt that God is active in this world. And I know there, we, that we are set here on purpose to live with the conviction, the life of faith. And I also know as a person with faith in Jesus Christ that even the most horrific situations we can imagine can be faced with faith in the very source of our life. Religious faith is not dead or irrelevant or simply a nice hobby for some. No. Religious faith is what the pushy mom set out to do that day in a living room of a home when Jesus was trying to get a little rest. My kid's sick. I'm at my wit's ends. And you, sir, hold the loaf, broken for the healing of the world, crumbs under the table lapped us up by us. And the most remarkable aspect of all of this is that even Jesus didn't expect this bold, intense woman would bear the awakening, expansive power of a God who knows no bounds. It is the power of God through Jesus Christ that transforms and is transformed, that causes poets and prophets and psalmists to sing out words that are equally irrepressible. This church and our life together gives way to the unexpected here in Harvard Yard. The absolute, unabashed, bold, awakened faith that gathers the crumbs to the full great loaf in times like that bold witness of that Syrophoenician woman. It stands with that Syrian man in the Budapest train station who declared, we are human too. It celebrates the reaching welcome for the Syrian refugees by the German community. It steps forward with a clear vision for racial justice as Justice Sotomayor modeled. Your words, your actions, your convictions, your unquenching and unquenched thirst for peace, and the full planet, the full loaf on this planet, are in your hands this day. And only the one who loves this world so much exceeds all of our acts by sending us a child, Jesus, to draw all to God's self and be empowered by the Spirit to live in this world as ambassadors of hope and a grand and glorious peace. And for all of this, we give God the glory. Amen.